So thankful are we that we could come together today, having been blessed with this Lord's Day morning, this first day of the week, that we can assemble as we are at this moment, resting assured that our desire, our intent is to honor and adore the God of heaven and to, in fact, share with Him our heartfelt feelings of thanksgiving. It's so good to see each person today, and we're thankful for the blessing that's ours in terms of health. We are so thankful we can mention the names of others in prayer who, however, are struggling, and we'd like to continue to do that. We come today to this lesson in which we have the second installment in our series on fundamentals. We began, at least in the second Sunday in January, to at least agree that for the second Sunday of each month, we would turn our attention to some of the most basic appreciations of the Christian faith, using those times to solidify our faith to strengthen our encouragement relative to the nature of these things. Isn't it true that quite often in our discussions with others, in the example we set before them, sometimes their questions are not about the abstract lofty things related to the faith. Sometimes their issues are the most elementary matters, and so hopefully in these lessons we can in fact strengthen ourselves in those same regards. Last month we gave attention to the fact there is a God. There is God in heaven. Today, we're going to spend the next few moments highlighting in our thinking the fact Jesus is. Jesus is. As we begin all of that, would you please begin this slide of introduction with me? Isn't it so that over the course of human history, there have been many individuals whose names, quite frankly, are very well known. Sometimes all you need is just the mention of a last name. And so to mind comes people like Hitler, Washington, Lincoln, Gandhi, just to name a few. That list, of course, could be greatly extended. But the fact is, we will recognize the impact that those individuals have had, at least in large measure, on the human family. But would you be apprised of the fact that there's not a one of them, even collectively as a whole, they do not come close to the influence exerted by a man named Jesus. Think about the impact that his teachings have had, his life in fact presented, the kingdom that was established beneath the banner of his name, how many souls it has impacted in the 20th century since. I again would easily say to you, nobody has come close to exerting the influence that he did. And yet, we'll find out in our lesson today that there are many things about his existence that some would like to question, that some would in fact call into quick appreciation of doubting it. With all of that said, let's journey into our lesson like this. You and I, as those who would be faithful to God, must... And may I suggest again, must have an absolute confidence that walking on this planet at one time was a man named Jesus. If he didn't walk this planet, then we have no reason to trust the thoroughness of what else may be said in the Bible about him. And so on this slide, isn't it true that Jesus is absolutely central to the Christian faith? In fact, it is based upon him. He is the central figure in all the Bible both Old and New Testament. The Old Testament shouts so loudly, Jesus is coming. The New Testament shouts just as loudly, He did come and He's coming again. 
All of that highlights the grandeur of this Jesus of Nazareth. But by the same token, might we easily observe this. While here on earth, He made some fantastic claims. He claimed to be the Messiah. John 4, 26, He plainly told the woman at the well, I that speak to thee am He. And she had just mentioned that she was looking for the Messiah. He told her, you found Him. You're talking to Him. Not only that, to the man born blind in John 9, you find one more time, Jesus confessed to that man that He was the Messiah. Surely in those lights and in those features, we could add to that this observation. Didn't Jesus Himself say in Matthew 4.10 that only God is to be worshipped? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. And yet on numerous occasions, Jesus allowed people to worship Him. I've asked you to notice just a few passages. Matthew 28, 9, Mark chapter 5, verse 6. If it's the case, only God is to be worshipped, and He allowed others to worship Him, He was making the claim that He was God. He was asserting to the fact that He was the Son of God. In addition to that, might we add this interesting observation. Wouldn't we all agree that any sin committed is a sin against God? And yet, Jesus forgave sins on several occasions. That is to say, when some circumstance developed, He would pronounce the forgiveness of the sins in light of the one that was then before Him. He did that in Mark chapter 2, when they tore apart the roof and lowered the man in. Not only did Jesus heal that man, He pronounced His sins forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Even the Jews understood that in John chapter 5. Now, we have already mentioned a host of passages and considerations that are reminders to us of the sheer nature of the grandeur of Christ. The rest of this slide is not going to be very nearly as happy. Look at the next statement with me, please. If I could just add an observation about our calendar. You and I would be quick to say that though no Bible verse, of course, talks about the calendar you and I now use, we know our calendar is based on Jesus. B.C. refers to before Christ. And so those dates prior to His birth would be reckoned with that kind of pair of letters after it. And yet those particular dates since His birth are A.D. Now that doesn't mean after death. That means Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. Even our calendar is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. But with all of that I highlighted and at least mentioned, would you please note this? There are some people who are not willing to grant that Jesus ever existed on this earth. In other words, there are those who doubt that there was ever a historical Jesus. To say that slightly differently, they may admit that there was perhaps a good man at some time, and, but they would never admit, at least many, that there was ever a historical Jesus of Nazareth. Now on that slide, I would ask you to note a few things, one of which is going to take you to this comment, and I have typed it in full. I hope you will listen as I read it. Let me preface it by saying these are the words of Josephus, a Roman historian. In other words, he wasn't an inspired writer, we would fully admit. 
but as he gave a record of events prior to the Roman Empire and in the days of the Roman Empire, this, and I quote, are the words he said. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and he and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Now, those are the words of a non-inspired writer testifying to the existence of a man named Jesus, testifying that he did have a group of followers and that he was crucified and that he rose again. All from the words of Josephus. May I be quick to say other writers than those in the Bible could also have been listed that provide us at least some reflection that there were other evidences to the existence of Jesus. As you keep that in mind, let's go back to the previous slide and continue our discussion like this. As I mentioned earlier, despite the record of the Bible and despite the claims of others such as Josephus, there are some who very openly do not think Jesus ever lived. I've listed for you the titles of two articles. One of them was published in the newspaper, rather well known, the Washington Post in the year 2014. All you need to hear is the title. Did historical Jesus really exist? The evidence just doesn't add up. And as you read that article, you will find the absolute assertion that there never was a Jesus. He's a made-up figment of some religious people's imagination. Look at the next title. This one, actually from a publishing company, a rather well-known publisher, the Cambridge University Press, two years later in 2016. The title of the book, it's official. We can now doubt Jesus' historical existence. And as you read that, it makes the rather evident and powerful claim there never was a Jesus. It's easy to see if you dismiss Jesus, you take Him out of the equation, there's no need to look to the Bible. There's no need to have any conviction at all in regard to Christianity. What you're not going to do this morning is take just a little bit of time and at least think about some evidences that should convince us that Jesus really did exist. He walked on this planet just like you and I do. He ate. There were times he was sad. There were other events in his life not that much different than yours and mine. And yet through it all, we find in him the reality that God in the flesh was living on earth. And so at the bottom of that slide, I've asked you to note this. Jesus really did walk on this earth, and He is exactly who He said He was. With all of that as a little bit of a background, let's then proceed to the following. Perhaps the strongest evidence that might well be marshaled to give some thought to the nature of our Lord 
would rely upon prophecy. And so let's take a few minutes and think not only about the avenue of prophecy, but the particular way that it provides such a strong evidence for Jesus. There are over 300 prophecies within the 39 Old Testament books that spoke about not only the person of Christ, but the situations of His life, the work in which He would engage, and the particulars about His death and a whole host of other specifics. 300 prophecies. And may I be quick to say that those prophecies, of course, spanned a great deal of time. For many of them were listed at a time that was hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And so it was at the top of that slide. Let's at least list a few of them. Now, let me at least allay some of your fears. We're not going to look at all 300. We probably couldn't do it if we were here all afternoon. But I've selected a few which I hope will be at least paramount to some understandings about the nature of these prophecies. First of all, it was told in Micah 5 verse 2 precisely where he would be born. Of all the cities on earth, it was dictated the one that would be the place of his birth. That city, of course, was named as Bethlehem of Judea. But not only that, he was to be born of a virgin. Now, wouldn't you agree that that eliminates the vast majority of the human family? He couldn't be born by the natural scheme of things. It had to be by a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. That was also echoed in Jeremiah 31, verse 22. At least at this point, as you and I then turn the page and arrive at Matthew chapter 1, we find indeed Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 highlights he was born in Bethlehem. And Matthew 1.25 says he was born of a virgin. Let's go even further. We quickly appreciate that among those other prophecies listed, amazingly, we find that he was to descend in his ancestry through a number of individuals, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We find that he was to be descended through people like David, Zerubbabel, and of course, a host of others. Now at this point, would you give thought to this? Could you and I dictate those through whom we descended 15 or 20 generations back? There isn't one of us here that could do it. We do not have access to the records that would verify it. But yet we find Jesus' ancestry in books like Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 was traced through virtually... 60 generations, it could be traced. It was known exactly and precisely who it was he would descend through, and it fulfilled the prophecies that were dictated within the days of the Old Testament. Let's try another one. You'll notice thirdly, it was pointed out that this one was to be a monarch. He was to be a royal leader of men. May I say, and rather amazingly, that at the same time he was to be a priest. Now, as you think back to the character of the Old Testament era, that was a unique circumstance to simultaneously be both priest and king. In fact, as you read back through it, you'll find very few. I can think of Melchizedek, but no others. Maybe you can think of additional ones, but here was the one prophesied at the same time to be king and a priest. 
May I say that Zechariah made that rather bold in Zechariah 6 verse 12. And yet, you also learn as we come to the New Testament that exactly He is this. The church is His kingdom. He reigns over it and He is our high priest. Hebrews 8 verse 1. The one I've added to that only adds to the amazing character. For not only priest and king, he at some point was to be a suffering servant. He was to allow others to put him to death. He was to allow others to do to him things that were mutilating and things that were, of course, extremely painful. And yet Isaiah 53 detailed that aspect of his, of his existence in fullness. Because you see, it wasn't for his iniquities that he suffered those things. It was for ours. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. Perhaps in light of those observations, you can now begin to see that these prophecies were extremely detailed. Look at the next one. We find rather interestingly that his public ministry was going to begin at a time that was predetermined. Think about the decisions you and I make in life. The particular choice you may have made to enter a certain job. Well, notice it was predetermined hundreds of years earlier that in the year AD 26 he would begin this public ministry, Daniel chapter 9. And that's exactly when it began. The next one takes us to observe this. It was highlighted in Psalm 41.9. A friend was going to betray him. Zechariah chapter 11 told us it'd be for 30 pieces of silver. When you turn into the New Testament, we find in John 16, sure enough, Judas went out after the devil had entered him and made arrangements to betray him for exactly 30 pieces of silver. I would pause at this point to say, isn't that remarkable? Look at the next one. You observe, lastly on that slide, it was even foretold that he would enter into Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey. Zechariah again, chapter 9, would tell us that detail. And as we turn to Matthew 21, it happened exactly as Zechariah had said that it would. There are those at this point who would be quick to say, well, Jesus knew these prophecies. And so he particularly orchestrated his life in such a way he fulfilled them. That cannot be. There were many of these prophecies that were completely out of his control. In fact, I would ask you to note some of the ones I've listed on this slide. You'll notice beginning at the top, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be pierced, but yet not a single bone would be broken. Think about the, the tactical character of penetrating a bone but yet not breaking it. Especially given the fact that the hand is full of bones, if, if you've ever looked at an x-ray of it. May I suggest to all of us, that was history written with the understanding of the skill of the Romans in driving those nails in such a way to penetrate things rightly but never breaking a bone. Beyond all of that, you may notice furthermore, I've asked you to appreciate the, this. Oddly enough, it was prophesied in Isaiah 53 that he would in fact have his grave with the rich. 
Now, you and I know while on earth the Lord was never monetarily rich. But yet we remember the avenue of Joseph of Arimathea and others who in fact labored to take that body and place it with those that could have been reckoned as rich. John chapter 19, verses 36 and following, give us those, those interesting details. Maybe it's at this point. Could I at least summarize this part by saying, the Lord fulfilled every one of these, but would you consider this with me? Did Jesus dictate where His parents would be when He was born? I don't think any baby can do that. But yet He was born in exactly the right place according to Old Testament prophecy. Could Jesus dictate that 30 pieces of silver is the arrangement that Judas would make? Jesus had nothing to do with that. But the arrangement that Judas made was exactly the one the Old Testament has predicted. Did Jesus have any control over what those Roman soldiers would do with His clothes while He was on the cross? The Lord didn't dictate to them what to do, but yet the Old Testament had prophesied they would cast lots for it. That's exactly what they did. I'll just use those three to point out. There were so many of those prophecies that were not specifically and directly under control of the Lord, and yet they happened exactly the way the Old Testament had said that they would. Over 300 prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled all of them. There was an article that I read on one occasion that looked at the fulfillment of these prophecies from a statistical point of view. What would be the odds that a person could fulfill all these prophecies and do so just from a random statistical standpoint? At this point, I'm sure you'd be ready to agree with me that by the time you looked at the details of each one of them, where he was born the character of what was to take place, as minuscule as riding of the foal of a donkey and the 30 pieces of silver. The statistical conclusion was that the probability for all practical purposes was zero. Nobody could have fulfilled these. And yet the fact that Jesus did it, is that not evidence and prime evidence at that, that He is who He said He was? He was the Messiah. He walked with His planet as God in the flesh. And as He did all of that, doesn't it remind us, we should have then the fullest of evidence. I understand that these secular writers could call into question the historical Jesus. First of all, if you're willing to throw the Bible in the trash, if you are, take the perspective this is not trustworthy history, then you are taking out, of course, a tremendous element and a moment of fantastic value for the Bible is historical. One of our next lessons in this series is going to cast a spotlight on it, by the way. But at least for now, let's look at yet another element of our consideration. Is there any other evidence besides the prophecies that one could at least mention as evidence for the historical Jesus? Could I call to your attention the thought of the miracles? The wonder of the miracles. I've asked you to notice a few details as we begin. First of all, there's no question the Lord worked miracles. I would call to your attention Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. As a passage that at least speaks to the miracles He worked, maybe none surpass this one. So allow me to read it. 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. You can imagine how quickly his reputation would grow. Once it became known that he had the skill and the capability to heal, folks from all over the place would bring their sick friends and relatives and neighbors. And you'll notice regardless what the malady was, Jesus had the power to heal them. And he did. That would only mean that his reputation would continue to grow. No wonder the Jews hated him so in one sense, for they wanted that reputation for themselves. The next element on the slide. Isn't it rather interesting that the God of heaven often used miracles to provide evidence for his working among people? That had happened in the days of Exodus. He brought those ten plagues on the Egyptians, and more than once throughout that record, the point was, they shall know that the God of heaven is here. And they shall know that the God of Moses is the God that did this. Not only the days of Exodus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, that very idea is presented. And wasn't it echoed in Mark 16, verses 17 to 20? Having mentioned that, however... Could you and I not say that Jesus actually used this line of thinking Himself in Matthew 11? You may recall on one occasion that John the Baptist sent some people to Jesus and said, Are you the one that's to come, or do we look for another? You may recall Jesus didn't just say yes. He said, You go back and tell John the miracles you've seen, for they testify of me. You tell them how the blind have gotten their sight. And you tell them, you tell him how the lame are now able to walk. And you tell him how the dead have been raised. And that should speak for itself, indicating who I am. The miracles, you see, were to serve as an evidence for the nature of the Christ. And for that reason, next on that slide, is that not what Jesus again would say in John chapter 10? Verses 25 and following. He talked about the works that he had done, and he said, These works testify of me. Today, then, should you and I not be able to use the evidence of the miracles, the things that he did, and let them speak as to who he was? Now, at this point, we might be quick to say, We all understand that men have claimed that they can work miracles. There have been a lot of people throughout history who claim that they can heal the sick. And they have claimed that they can bring about various and sundry other, th other things. You and I, of course, don't believe it. If a man could literally work miracles the same way that they did back in Jesus' day, why not go up here and empty Cookville Regional Medical Center? Why not go up here and empty the local cemetery right in the middle of Cookville? They can't do it. They just can't do it. Isn't it all just a set of games? Isn't it all basically a presentation to garner some financial blessings from those who they think that can, in fact, be healed? 
The miracles that men claim to do today are nothing like those in the Bible. These legitimate miracles that could not be denied. May I again say, if a man really can do miracles like they could back then, why not empty all the hospitals in Tennessee? All you'd have to do is go there and one room by another take care of whatever the malady happens to be. But they can't do it. You and I realize the Lord could, whether it be blindness, whether it be lameness, whether it be other kinds of maladies such as paralysis, even death. Oh, what an event it was when Lazarus came forth from the tomb in John chapter 11. We all remember, in fact, that was the event that was soon to bring about the crucifixion. That was the last straw. On that slide, then, could you not see with me this? Jesus is and He was who He claimed to be. Consider the authority, then, that might be noted in His words. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus said that. Now, if He wasn't the Son of God, clearly He was an outright liar. To have claimed things like that, and then to not be the Son of God, and yet we've seen whether it be prophecy, whether it be the miracles, there is evidence to substantiate that He is who He said He was. He is the Son of God, and He is going to reign supreme on that day of judgment. As you and I pass this slide, could we not come to a point of conclusion as we draw our lesson today to a close? We've looked at but two evidences, one of them touching the miracles, the other touching, of course, the, the character of prophecy. Jesus was God in the flesh. In John chapter 1, you and I well remember the statement that was given, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning, and, was, and without Him was done anything made that was made. That Word became flesh, verse 14 will tell us, and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. There were men who saw Him. And in many ways, that forms a background to not only the book of Hebrews, but the book of 1 John as well. We saw Him. 1 Corinthians 15 will even dictate there were those who saw the resurrected Christ. Paul wrote more than 500 saw Him all at once. Now, if that many saw Him and gave testimony to that, are those not eyewitness accounts? Are they not eyewitness accounts to the fact He lived, He walked this planet, He was here? Today, you and I then, rather than doubt Him, like some newspaper or book articles might encourage us to do, our faith in Him should be incredibly strong. And this book is the testimony of His doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lesson text that Brother Dennis read earlier is Luke chapter 4. I saved it till now. You might recall on that day that he stood up in his hometown and he was given the opportunity to speak as a part of that service. He turned the pages to what we would call Isaiah 61 and he read it. And did you notice? In that passage is a description about miracles. And he said, this day is this text fulfilled in your ears. That was a reference to the Messiah. It was a reference to 
God upon earth. And Jesus said, I'm Him. This day, this verse is fulfilled. Don't you know that there were many that day who perhaps were astonished as a part of that sermon? May I also say there were some who were incredibly agitated. So angry were they, they were ready to kill him after that first sermon. What do you think about that? Preach his first sermon, put him to death. Thankfully, they didn't succeed. The Lord escaped from their, their evil intentions. But you and I know that he preached the truth that day. Today, you and I live 20 centuries this side of that event, roughly. But no less convinced are we than surely what some of them must have been that day. May we have every assurance Jesus is who He said He was. And this book is His record of life and the record of what life ours should be. Today, if there's someone in this assembly whose life isn't as it ought to be, it isn't because the Lord hasn't come. He's come. If your life and mine isn't as it ought to be, it's because of choices I've made, choices you've made, decisions that have been made. You need to rush quickly today to the side of the One who is the Son of God. Isn't it true? Call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1.23. Today, if we could be of assistance to you as a child of God who's gone astray, oh, how earnestly the Lord beseeches you to come back to your first love, Revelation 2.5. Today, we would love to make prayer on your behalf if you will acknowledge your sins, make confession of them, repent of them. God will quickly, quickly forgive through Christ's blood. But if you have never become a Christian today, there will never be a better day than this when the 13th day of February 2022, a day that your whole eternity will be turned around, a day that the sweetness of those mansions in heaven are promised to you, John 14, 1-3. If today we could assist in that way, you need to believe in the Lord with all your heart. So when a person at that time of confession says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that person is affirming he or she is absolutely sure that the Lord, as we've learned today, is who the New Testament says that He was. As you, in fact, make statement of that belief, the acknowledgement of those sins in, in repentance and confession, we can then baptize you into Christ. What a joyous occasion. What a time to celebrate. Today, if we could be of some help in either of these ways, we invite and encourage you to come while we stand and while we sing.